0: Good morning and welcome to New Hope. This is a part of worship that we get to continue our worship and love for our Christ Jesus. You know, we talk about families. and We just had somebody's little baby up there, as precious as he is. And that's the beginning of a family where a couple has a firstborn. But if you're from a poor family, a middle-income family, or a well-to-do family, the one thing that's a common thread is love. You know, you have aunties, uncles, nephews, nieces, fathers, wives, grandparents, and there's love. And the, where there's a, the love of the family, there's a lot of giving. You know, you, the giving of the parents you support the family, the household, the food, the feeding, and then buying the gifts. You have Christmas time gifts, you have birthday gifts, and most recently we have graduation gifts. You know, so where there's love, there's giving. And it's like our Lord Jesus. He's our Father. We love him. And out of our relationship with Jesus, we want to give our tithes and offerings. And through that, he uses it to further his kingdom through the church into our communities in which we live. So let's pray with me. Lord, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for that gift of love that you give us, Lord. Not only from you to us, but from us to you where we get to exemplify this through your gift and the gift that we get to return. And I just ask that you just use the tithe and offerings to further your kingdom, the works that we do to reach one relationship at a time in our communities where we live, where we work, where we raise our families. Lord, we love you, and let us ask your blessings to be with us at all times. Amen.
1: Good morning. We are in a series called The Family of God. And today, Pastor Marcia Krieger is going to be speaking about guarding his house. And when we think about guarding his house and that word, his house, it can almost seem like we're just talking about the place where we gather for church. And whenever we gather together for church and we gather into a facility, it's like the building. But we all know that church is not a place you go to. Church is something you are. So church is all about the people. There are two places that we gather together as people, in our homes and in a facility like this where you're sitting right now. We call it going to church. So when we talk about guarding his house, there are two houses that we guard, our homes and the place where we gather together as believers, the house of God, we call it. So as Pastor Marcia Krieger shares about guarding his house, it really reminds me about Joshua in the Bible who brought God's people into the promised land. And Joshua had to make a declaration and some some challenges to the people. And he said, listen, you're either going to serve these other gods that are on the other side of the river and, and what you used to do before, or you're going to serve the Lord God in this place, but you have to choose. And he said this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's kind of like the challenge for us as believers, that God wants us to guard our home and its unity with God, as well as the house of God, where we gather together as believers, the unity of God. And unity is not in the context of we all have to get along. Unity is when we're connected with our hearts to God's Spirit. Because unless we're connected to God, it doesn't matter how well we get along, we won't learn anything. So today, Pastor Marsha Krieger is gonna speak to us about guarding his house. Let's welcome up Pastor Marsha Krieger.
2: Well, good morning. And before I get started, I do wanna say congratulations to the graduate Graduates, We have one in our family this year, and we get to go to graduations for the next six years. Then I get a break. So anyways, congratulations to all the graduates. Well, as Pastor Sheldon said, um, we are continuing in a series, and we are talking about guarding the house. And we do want to be in unity with God first, and then with others in order to protect the house. But what does that look like? And where do we even begin? What does unity look like? And why do we even have to protect the church? Well, the first thing that we need to know, and Pastor Sheldon talked about that, is that we don't go to church. We are the church. And the church is best described as being the body of Christ. So when we protect the church, we're actually protecting ourselves and our ohana. So the apostle Paul connected the church and the body of Christ in his letter to the church in Colossae. And he said, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. And then in a letter to the Ephesians, he said it this way. Now, you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. And because we are the body of Christ, we're valuable. And we have an important task to accomplish. See, if we didn't have something to do here on the earth, then as soon as we said, yes, I receive you, Jesus, he would have taken us home. But he didn't. He left us here because we have an assignment. And that is to spread the glory of God and that's best done through relationship. God created man in the image of God, and the image of God is best displayed through our relationships with each other. J.I. Packer, who is an author and theologian, said it this way. He said, The task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness-bearing. So the fundamental reason why it's not good for Adam to be alone was not because something needed to be fulfilled within Adam, but rather because of a deficiency in the ability to accurately image God. He couldn't make the invisible kingdom visible while he was alone because the invisible kingdom is a community. Pastor Sheldon said it well when he said the church is all about people. And since the church is all about people, I believe that to protect our church, to protect our house, to protect the house of God, then we have to start with relationship. And relationships matter to God. Now, to be honest, relationships don't matter just to God, but it matters to the world. See, last week, the Big Bang Theory ended, I think it was like a 12-year run on TV, And everybody was into and drawn into the story of Sheldon and um, Amy and uh, Leonard and Penny and all those guys for 12 years. But prior to that, we got caught up in the story of Barney and um, the whole gang of How I Met Your Mother. And before that, who could forget Ross and Monica and all those guys? See, what Hollywood has figured out and what they do is they emphasize relationships to get us to draw into their shows. Because relationships matter. The world knows that relationships are very important. There's an 80-year study by Harvard University on adult development. And it shows that relationships have a powerful impact on our health. And Robert Waldinger, who's directed the study, said this. He said, close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents. They help to delay mental and physical decline and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. The role of genetics and long lived ancestors provoke, oh, excuse me, prove less important to longevity than the level of satisfaction with relationships in midlife, which is now recognized as a good predictor of healthy aging. Those who kept warm relationships got to live longer and happier and the loners often died earlier. And then he said this, loneliness kills. See, Hollywood and science are simply reflecting what God has been saying from the very beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. We're created in relationship to be in relationship with others. And the way we handle our relationships in our families, whether it's our family families or whether it's our church family, will either protect or destroy the church. And with that in mind, there are three things that we can do in order to guard our house. And if you're taking notes, the first is make unity our priority. Make unity our priority. In the book, What on Earth Am I Here For?, Rick Warren said, Unity is the soul of fellowship. Destroy it, and you rip the heart out of Christ's body. Unity among believers is crucial because it's the core of how God wants us to experience life together. And the best model we have for that is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They exist in a humble community, serving each other. Even though there are three different and distinct personalities, they serve as one. And God wants us to experience that joy of being in unity and harmony with each other. It's so integral to the example that we set that Paul repeated it throughout his letters to the churches. To the the church in Corinth, he wrote, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. To the Ephesians, he wrote, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, the reason unity was so important to Paul was because it was important to Jesus. And it was so important to Jesus that on the night before he was crucified, after he'd had dinner with his disciples, his final um, Passover dinner, he prayed for them, and he also prayed for us. And in that prayer, he said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, So they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, there's a divine purpose in the unity that God calls us to. And that unity points people towards God. Now, before we go any further, I want to be clear. Unity is not uniformity. We don't have to all be doing the same thing to be unified. And sometimes we make that mistake. We'll read a book. We'll listen to a podcast. We'll get passionate about something. And then we believe that Jesus would be as zealous about that thing as we are. And we expect that everybody else in the church is going to be as zealous as we are. And when they're not, we wonder about their Christianity. And we begin to say, well if this isn't important to them they can't be a christian but we're all created differently and our responses to jesus or to the causes we believe in believe in will be as different as we are we're all created differently and each of us can serve jesus through different avenues but we must love him from the same heart and the best example i can give you for that is walking now every day we walk somewhere, whether it's down the hall to get to our kitchen, whether it's to our car to get to work, you walked, most of you walked into the building today. And what happens when you walk is you stand and one leg swings forward and it starts to step, and that's called a pendulum motion. And then the next leg will follow through. And it goes on and on, and your legs are working together with one result. It wants to propel you forward. Now, Our legs are not doing the same thing at the same time. If they did, we will fall. That's how we are in the body of Christ. We express our faith differently. And just as our legs are unified in one purpose to propel us forward, our love and our unity in Christ is uniform in our love for him and our call and our assignment to bring others to him. In a letter to the church in Philippi, Paul said, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in one mind. See, unity brings joy. A couple of weeks ago, I took my two youngest granddaughters to see Ugly Dolls because they were too young to see Endgame. So we took them to the movie, and because Endgame is in town and the lines are long, we went early to get them their seats. So Ava's four, and Peyton is seven, going to be eight. So we're sitting in the row, and of course, Ava's four, so during all the previews, she gets bored, and anybody who knows four-year-old girls, they get chatty, I mean chatty, like minor birds. And so she's talking, and the previews are going on, and all of a sudden, she looks at me, and she goes, I know what movie Peyton likes. And I said, you do? She goes, yeah, Mamma Mia. And then both of them on either side of me, without any prompting, she Mamma Mia, here we go again. My, and they start singing. Well, the little boy at the end is watching the preview, so he looks at them, and goes, shh! <laughs> and so, you know, because I'm the loving, kind grandma I am, I looked at them and, ha, you both got shushed. <laughs> they started laughing again. See, they both have a mutual love for each other, and the movie Mamma Mia, and it caused them to interrupt into a spontaneous outburst of singing. That's the picture of love and unity that we have to have as members of the body of Christ. That our mutual love for Jesus should cause us to be spontaneous in our response whenever we're together. That others would recognize it even if they shush us. And then if we do get shushed, or someone points out our differences, we don't need to let that prevent us from pursuing unity. Because the second thing is and can write this down is we focus on what we have in common. Focus on what we have in common. We must be unified in the very essentials of our faith, the things that we hold in common. Is we have one Lord, Jesus. We have one body, the church. We have one purpose, and that's to glorify God and to make him known. We have one Father, God. We have one spirit, and it's the very same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. We have one hope, and that's salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the things that we have in common, and those commonalities in our faith are far more important than any differences that we have. We may baptize different, We may take communion different. We may worship different. Some people worship with contemporary music. Some people worship with hymns. Some may dance. Some may cry out to God. And some may simply stand in awe. But those differences in our responses to God are as varied as our personality. And we cannot allow them to divide us because we have one common purpose. And that is to glorify God. Someone once said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. See, conflicts happen within the body whenever we shift our focus from the important issues and onto the things that don't matter. The Apostle Paul called those things disputable matters. Paul wrote in a letter to Rome to explain that they, to make sure that they understood that salvation comes through Jesus alone. But in chapter 14, he shifts from talking about our common salvation to talking about clashes that were happening within the church. And he starts addressing them because it's causing upheaval. See, some people said you couldn't eat certain types of meat. Other people said that it was okay to eat the meat because now that we had the, um, because Jesus had come, we have the gospel, it's okay not to eat the meat. So those people were fighting. Then you had other people who said, you have to worship on these days, on this day, and other people said it didn't matter. And Paul comes in with his letter, and he dives right in, and he says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, there was within the church people who were moving into judging others and the way they carried out their relationship with Jesus. And I'm sad to say that that didn't end with the church in Rome or with Paul's letter because we do the very same thing. Some of us, when we walked in, we saw the way somebody was dressed and we made a judgment. Some of us didn't like the worship selection today or we didn't like the way someone was worshiping. Or we saw someone in church who I didn't know they were Christian. I didn't know they were a church. Do you know what they did last night? See, whenever we start judging or gossiping or complaining or criticizing others, we're partnering with the enemy in his attempts to destroy our families and our churches. And Jesus was very strong about that. One day, the Pharisees were challenging him again, and he calls Satan a liar. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and he's the father of it. Later on, John would write that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So whenever we start moving into accusing or judging or saying things about people, we're partnering with Satan in his kingdom and his role is to destroy the church and we have a choice do I want to stand there and do I want to work in that kingdom do I want to bring people down do I want to make someone discouraged do I want to tear down the church do I want to take away someone's hope or do I want to operate in the kingdom of God do I want to spread his glory Do I want to encourage others? Do I want someone who's talking to me to leave my presence feeling like there's hope, like they can move forward into the eternity that Christ has for them? See, the enemy wants to destroy the church, but God calls us to be one, to be unified in spirit, to lift up the name of Jesus and to further and advance the kingdom of God here on this earth. In chapter 14 of Paul's letter to the Romans, he seals the deal. And he says this. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's almost like he's saying, Hey, look, these things that have you all riled up, it isn't kingdom business. They're non-essential. Let's get back to what's truly important. Let's shift out of operating in the kingdom of darkness And let's shift into operating in the kingdom of God. Kingdom businesses, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when we respond out of God's kingdom, we protect our family and we protect the church. But then disagreements do happen, and they will, because we're human. And instead of grumbling or complaining, and this is your third point, resolve issues quickly. Be quick to resolve them. You know, I took my... Um, my daughter and I took her son, my oldest, my gra- grandson, and then we took one of my younger granddaughters, Ava, and we went to the beach. And Micah's really good with her. So he had her out in the water where, uh, where she could reach. And she had this coconut husk that looked like a boat, and she had these other things that float. And so they're putting them in the water, and the husk kept um, sinking. The other things would float, and the husk kept slinking, sinking. So F- Micah finally says... This is junk and he picked up the husk and he threw it out into the ocean. And then she got mad. And she turns around, she storms up the beach and she goes, I'm mad at you, you hurt my feelings. You threw my boat away. And she storms up and she sits next to me and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, okay, we'll just see how this plays out. And she's looking at him and then finally she decides she's gonna play in the sand so she starts digging and she has this toy and she starts burying it and then she looks at me and she goes, do you love Micah? I said, yeah. Then he turns to Kristen, his mom says, do you love Micah? And she says, yeah. And Ava says, I don't. He made me mad. I don't love him. Talk about conditional love. But we're called to represent the kingdom of God. And we're called to live in harmony with each other. And we can't let little things cause us not to love one another. Um, paul wrote i appeal to you dear brothers and sisters by the authority of our lord jesus christ to live in harmony with each other let there be no divisions in the church rather be of one mind unified in thought and purpose you know later that day we had stopped at mcdonald's to get some snacks and mike ended up helping ava and all of a sudden she forgot that she didn't love micah anymore she goes i love micah now sometimes that's how we act it's like, I get mad at you, and I don't want to talk to you, and I oh, I see you in the store, and I avoid you. And then we make up, and it's all okay. But God says, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And when people see us, they should see a reflection of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is one of love, it's encouragement, it's peace, and it's harmony. This is what our lives need to reflect, because we have the important task of reconciling people to Christ. Paul said, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. So we were reconciled to Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. And sometimes we run into problems. And we need to settle those things within ourselves before we even think of reconciling someone else to God. So if you're in that place, or when we do have a relationship that we hope to reconcile, here are some things we can do to move in that direction. And I'm sorry, it's not in your notes, so you're going to have to find paper and write this down. Um, number one, talk to God first. Go to God. Pray about this situation. Tell God about your hurt, your anger, your frustration. He's not going to be surprised by it. Ask him to show you your next steps. This part's important, too. While you're talking to God, ask him to show you what part of this whole thing is yours. What part of it do you have to own? And the second thing, take initiative. After you've gone to God, you've asked him all those questions, you've settled things in your heart, then you don't wait for them to go to you. You call them up and you try to make it right. You go in humility and you go in a real desire to heal the relationship. And the third and probably, well, for me it's the hardest, listen for their feelings and their intent. Use your ears more than your mouth. Don't defend yourselves. Don't defend your point. Don't defend your decision. Just listen to what they have to say. This is not in your notes, but the writer of Proverbs says, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Listening says, I value our relationship more than I value being right. You matter to me. Then the fourth one is own your part in the conflict. Remember I said in the beginning when you're talking about ask God what your part is, own your part. Because here's the thing, when you have a conflict, it is never 100% the other person's fault. Even if there's 1% that's mine, it's own that 1% and take responsibility for that. This is not the time to um, sit there and say, you did this, you did this. It's just, hey, this is me, I did this. And then number five, attack the problem, not the person. You can't fix the problem if you're intent on fixing blame. You can't fix the problem if you're intent on being heard. So fix the problem. And then the sixth is focus on reconciliation, not resolution. See, reconciliation is about the relationship. Resolution is about the problem. Reconciliation says we're going to be all right, even if we never agree. Resolution says we got to fix this. We got to fix it now. So focus on reconciliation. And if you want more information on that, or you're wondering, like, okay, I, 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 I need to understand that more, then um, it's in chapter day twenty, I think, of this book. See, protecting our families and our church, it means we need to pursue unity. We need to focus on what we have in common. We need to resolve the issues quickly. And I'm going to be honest. They're all hard to do. We get in the way. But I'm going to give you a shortcut. And here's the shortcut. Operate out of love. Everything that you do, whether you're pursuing unity, whether you're focusing on what you have in common, or whether it's resolving the conflict, do it starting from love. See, we can put an effort into changing the way we think. We can shift our behaviors and we can change our habits. But when the going gets tough, when we're tired or we're busy, we revert back to the old ways. But if we change our hearts, we change everything. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. See, we can do everything right. We can try to follow every commandment, every law. We can follow everything that there is. And if we don't respond out of a genuine love, we're going to fall back to old ways. But we to respond out of genuine love for God because God is love. And God's love looks suspiciously like loving people. Then we guard our house. We prioritize unity. We need to focus on what we have in common. We need to resolve the issues quickly. But here's a shortcut. Love God. Love people. And when we do that, we guard the house. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to close. And I want to encourage you, as we leave here today, to make it our purpose to start loving God first. And then start looking at people not from where we see they need help, looking at them from the way God sees them and see them with his love and then love them with his love and protect the unity that we have with them because we're all one body. We're one church. We're called to one thing and that is to glorify God. And we do that when we love each other. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for calling us into your kingdom, for allowing us to be part of your body. Help us to realize what an important, important value you place on us as parts of your body. May we rejoice with others. May we celebrate them and in all that they're called to do. And may we remember, Lord God, that we have one God, one Lord, one faith. And may we lift you up and glorify you in everything. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord. Amen.